HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Welcome to Culture and Flavor with Zella Palmer, a podcast about food and culture centered in Black and Indigenous food ways. Today, we're going to have a high vibrational conversation with Ryan Mitchell, the son of the legendary barbecue pit master from North Carolina, Ed Mitchell, who was recently inducted into the Barbecue Hall of Fame. Over four generations, the Mitchell family has been a shining example of generational whole hog barbecue as only Eastern North Carolina knows how to make. Ryan took his family's barbecue empire to the next level by co-founding True Made Food Barbecue Sauces with zero sugar and helping his father, Ed Mitchell, become a barbecue icon. Today, we talk about Ed Mitchell's Barbecue, their first cookbook scheduled to be released this June, and the future of barbecue. Well, welcome, Ryan, to Culture and Flavor. I'm so excited to have you here this afternoon. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing great. Thank you. Thank you so much. This is uh, it's an honor to uh, to be on your platform and uh, being able to share our story, um, story of my family. So, you know, we we have a lot of history and uh, I'm just excited. I'm excited to be a part of what you're doing. Yes, indeed. So I would just want to you know, pull it back and, you know, talk a little bit about just this journey. And I want to let our listeners know, you know, just this journey that we've been on. And I think, you know, through our conversation, we'll definitely touch on some of the book, the, the, the moments in the book that uh, readers can look forward to, but I want to just give our, our listeners a brief introduction to this project that we've been on. Right. No, no doubt. Um, Mr. Mitchell, your father, you know, can you just give us just kind of a background on who your father is for those who might not be familiar with who Ed Mitchell, the legendary barbecue pit master from Wilson, North Carolina is. The legendary pit master, Ed Mitchell, my dad. So look, I start out every interview by saying first and foremost, uh, my great grandfather, Lawyer Sanders had 35 children. All right, so 35 children, those 35 went on to average about 14, 15 apiece. Uh, my grandmother, Doretha Mitchell, was uh, 
at the back end of those uh, of that 35. She was like number 34. And uh, that is my father's mother. And that's where we get the culinary uh, legacy and, and influence that, that started our family down this track of being in the barbecue business. Uh, that, you know, my dad is said to be uh, the, the great, the grandchild that looks the most like uh, my great grandfather, Lloyd Sanders. So I always use that to kind of set the tone for the type of history that was circulating through our household and how we got into the food business and, and um, where we come from. Uh, as it relates to, you know, the plantation life and Southern life and Southern cooking and all of that influence that um, that ran through my through my household for me as a young kid, you know, absorbing all of that was, um, you know, was just a, an amazing experience. So uh, my grandparents set out to um, own their own business after they retired Mitchell Supermarket. Uh, once my, my grandfather passed away in 1991, and my father began to make his journey back to Wilson, North Carolina. Um, you know, after taking jobs in corporate America around the country, you know, coming back and trying to, you know, be an entrepreneur, you know, do a couple different things, um, you know, around the city that, you know, was ahead of his time. Uh, once my grandfather passed away, um, to, to be honest, we, we got into the barbecue business by just reverting back to a place of healing and a place of just, um, you know, using food as a, as an avenue to kind of bring the family a little bit closer. So all of these culinary skills that my father grew up with, um, we started cooking whole hog barbecue, uh, just really just to, to feed our, to feed the immediate family as somewhat of a celebration. My grandmother's uh, you know, she cooks, um, you know, that's her method of coping. You know, she cooks to get through grieving and feeding people and hospitality is her. Um, that's her that's her go to. You know, that's her feel good moment. Um, so my dad adopted, you know, those same gifts, you know, of, of of being able to cook, even though he wasn't, you know, a professional chef, barbecue was known to bring family and the community together. So, you know, we got into this game, um, you know, really from a place of pain, uh, to be quite honest with you. It wasn't a competition-based, uh, celebrity-based barbecue back then. You know, to be honest, it really wasn't something that you you were, you know, broadcasting about being, you know, great at at that point. Um so we got down this road. My father and my two uncles slowly began to create a reputation for our family around the city as being the last um, barbecue guys, the last barbecue family who was committed to cooking whole hog barbecue uh, in its most organic fashion, which is over, you know, wood flame, pit fired um, pits, uh, hot fired pits, uh, direct heat. Um, and just mastering the craft or, or showcasing the craft of whole hog barbecue when most of the other places around around town were had moved over to shoulders and gas and, you know, other commercial styles of cooking, cooking, cooking barbecue. Um, and slowly but surely, you know, our reputation began to seep around the United States as um, as being the last of a dying breed. And uh, that's that's where it all began. So that leads us to um, 
just our story, right? Um, right, right. You know, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you all, the listeners, you know, just this amazing, incredible story that we can't wait to share with you because on June 6th, I think it is the book release date. June 6th. Um, so Ed Mitchell's Barbecue. I'm telling y'all, get this book, Ed Mitchell's Barbecue. Um, this is a barbecue story, a culinary history that I think that is going to blow your mind. I know it will because um, I wrote it. <laughs> One hundred percent. So I want to just go back into, um, you know, just how how that came about. So it was, yeah. you know, my, um, you know, how the connection and the universe works, you know, and when we always talk about ancestors and how our ancestors walk with us and our ancestors are always kind of controlling things. Um, in 2000, I think it was 2019 or 2020, whenever the COVID hit, I just remember I was quarantined in New Orleans and I was, you know, received an email and you all read all about it in the book. And I'm trying not to really spoil too much of the book because I want you all to, you know, really delve in and learn about the Mitchell's history. I mean, that's four generations in that book, you know, and the way we tell this story, we put a lot of love and just, you know, a lot of conversations with the community and Wilson, a lot of conversations with the barbecue community. I'm excited that Howard, Dr. Howard Conyers wrote the introduction that Absolutely. John T. Edge also contributed. You know, um, there's so many amazing stories in this book. And, you know, I mean, tell, tell us, a, tell us a little bit. I'll let you tell the story first and then I'll just piggyback yeah. on you. Shout out to South Carolina, Dr. Conyers as well, too, man. He, he He's an amazing guy. Uh, that contributed to the project. But, um, yeah, you know, like in 20, I'll say 20, just to back up just for a second, 2015, uh, er, early 2014, we were at the Big Apple Barbecue Festival. And, you know, after 10 years of, of, of doing that showcase, that festival, we began to get approached by a couple of agents who were really just fans, li literary agents who were fans and had been following us over the past 10 years and, you know, would come down and eat with us and hang out. And, um, you know, they asked me about, you know, uh, what did I want my legacy to be? And, you know, um, how, how was I going to, you know, take this baton and keep going with it? So my father was sitting there and, you know, he had his two cents to say about all of it. But um, we decided to take a stab at um, at signing with an agency and being and taking an opportunity to be able to tell our story or at least getting the control of us telling our story versus having someone else, uh, you know, do it uh, for us. Right. So 2017, uh, we ended up, you know, committing to a deal with HarperCollins. And then, like you said, the pandemic hits and I'm sitting at home and, you know, this deal has been this deal has been in the works here for a couple years. And I'm, and I'm like, yo, you know, I've already written a proposal. It's been accepted. But what's going on? What's missing? You know, something ain't right. You know, so the pandemic hits and I call up the agency. I'm like, listen, man, the time is now. You know, the George Floyd incident had just occurred. Um and we are, you know, just trying to figure out how to, you know, put some healing back into the world and be in control of our own story. And I get on a phone call with uh, with that, that, the lead uh, editor at the time. 
And he tells me, hey, you know, um, you know, with all this going on and with all of the stories that are coming out to the world right now, I can't allow this to be told by anyone else other than someone that is that you share a, a cultural uh, relationship with. Uh, this story ha- cannot be told by someone else. And um, I was in total agreement, you know, and I was like, listen, you know, we've been scouring, you know, we've been looking for writers and we've been, you know, creating these relationships, but nobody really is, is, is really is, is really getting us and nobody I'm really comfortable with just yet, you know, to be able to tell the world our story uh, in, in a way that it deserves. You know, and through the lens of another African-American who understands the culture and can tell our story uh, through a through a different perspective, you know. So he mentions the name Zella Palmer as his lead choice. And I don't know, you know, (laughs) I don't know very much about, you know, this this amazing person at that point in time. So I'm like, well, listen, you know, we're going to take your advice and we're going to do the interview and. if this is who you are suggesting, then let's go. Let's set it up. Let's do it right now. So we set up the phone call and, you know, God and all this and all of his amazingness, you know, we get you on the phone and lo and behold, your entire uh, uh, vibe and, and, and your legacy runs right through, you know, Wilson, North Carolina. And so here I am sitting here looking at my dad like, how on earth do we not know her? Like, you know, where, where, <laughs> like, like, where is she? Like, how was this person out in the world, you know, and we don't know that she has a background, not just in culinary uh, and food, but like she, she has roots coming from, uh, from, from Wilson through South, you know, through the Carolinas, um, has this amazing history. Her family's former plantation is on the road that I drove to the school every morning, uh, Ward Boulevard is the boulevard that the restaurant is on, that our original piece of property was on that we purchased in 1985. Like, you know, how is this all connecting and how, you know, how, how don't we know her? And, uh, you know, I really didn't want to, you know, we, we interviewed you and, and, and grateful you accepted the project. I really didn't want to talk to anybody else, but we had to. But like at the end of the day, um, when you said yes, uh, I was, you know, it was like, this is it. You know, I don't know what, you know, clearly God has some other things in store for this project. And uh, and I'm, I'm just I'm just glad to be a vessel. But he connected us and he didn't know any of that. He didn't even know where you were from, but you were number one on his list. And, uh, wow. and you can't you can't really make that up. You can't write that. You know, it wasn't you know, it wasn't some suggestion that was based on, you know, some inorganic form of uh, like trying to put two people so, you know, two families together, you know, he had been following your work and I was like, well, you know, if this is what it is, let's go. But for me personally, it was just so far out the realm because I, you know, I, I think I know, you know, everybody who came through my, you know, who has a background in my, in my backyard, you know, who is in the industry. And, uh, but it just goes to show you how many you know how many amazing stories come from the South that get up and and um, you know get to other places, man. And the talent that comes from here. Thank you for sharing that. And you know, just to piggyback off of what you were saying, um, I just remember 
just, you know, like a lot of you all, I was at home, you know, dealing with a lot. My, my parents were in Chicago, you know, during COVID, I was worried about my elder parents, you know, I just had so much going on. And so that I never expected to get a book deal during that time. (laughs) And I honestly wasn't even taking it, you know, I, you know, because I had so much going on and I just, I was so tired of people lowballing, you know, um, writers. I was just kind of just in a, you know, weird, funky space, you know? And I remember, you know, my, it was my cousin, Lisa. So shout out to my cousin, Lisa Henderson. She's a a credible lawyer uh, in Atlanta, but she's from Wilson, North Carolina. And Lisa is that the one who actually grew up and born and raised in Wilson, North Carolina. And she has a blog about every black person that ever lived in Wilson, North Carolina. And she's been holding this blog, you know, just putting content out there, but especially about our family. And so, you know, I was always visiting, um, going down to North Carolina with family, my mother's side, it's my mother's side of the family. And so when I told Mr. Mitchell and you, you know, with Lisa, well, let me back up. Well, Lisa stopped by my house during Mm -hmm. the pandemic. She was visiting from Atlanta. It was so random. And she's just like, you know, you, you know, you make sure you tell them that you wrote this, you know, that you got, you have family in Wilson, North Carolina. (laughs) And I was like, oh my God. And I told, and I I was like, she said, make sure you take that interview. She said, take that interview. Do you, Ed Mitchell, are you crazy? And so I called, I, you know, eventually we set up the meeting and Immediately when I said my roots in Wilson, North Carolina, my great grandfather, Dr. Joseph Henry Ward, and then who my namesake from Fayette, you know, her family from Fayetteville, mm-hmm. Zella Locklear, you know, it just and when just, you know, going back and doing this as a research project and, you know, writing this book. I mean, my mother, you know, took us and, you know, this is where your great grandfather was. This is where his father was born. This is where, you know, your great, great, great grandmother was enslaved. You know, her taking us around Wilson, it, it it really became real when I was able to sit down and talk to you all about your story and document your story. And especially, you know, talking to your father yeah. and talking to yeah. your grandmother, who is 90. Is she 92 now? 92, yeah. Well, she, she, she'd be, uh, she should be 92 in November. Yeah. So, wow. 92 yeah. years old. 92. Mother Doretha Mitchell. And you guys are going to get to know her when you get this book. I'm just saying. And, you know, we went on this journey and I just remember, you know, eating Mr. Mitchell's barbecue. I mean, I had heard about his barbecue for years, you know, and if you've ever been to Wilson, North Carolina, most folks who stop in a town, you know, or go to Parker's, which is, you know, a well-known barbecue restaurant where you can get whole hog um, barbecue. You can get, you know, corn sticks and, you know, oyster stew, all the, the staples of Eastern North Carolina. Right. But what I was able to try uh, Mr. Mitchell's barbecue and, you know, you at the helm, your uncles, you know, you all are a whole family team, you know, yeah, yeah. it just blew my mind. It blew my mind. I've never had anything quite like that in my life, you know, maybe in no, never, you know, and just the <laughs> perfect blend of, you know, the sauce, you know, because sometimes Eastern North Carolina gets a lot of slack for, you know, being being a vinegar based, you know, culture. You're right. We're a vinegar based culture. And that's, you know, it takes a while for some people to understand that vinegar is, a, is a, you know, vinegar and hot peppers, crushed red peppers is a, you know, is a mix of, a, of, of an actual sauce. And so 
takes a while for for vinegar to kind of grow on people. Um, but we're going to make it happen. We've been, you know, we're going to do it. But actually, that vinegar-based sauce reminds me so much of, like, Cuban mojo, you know, um, different other, other you know, West African sauces that I've tasted, you know, that have vinegar-based, you know, sauces. It's, right. it's who makes it. If you use too much vinegar, then, of course, it's going to come out too acidic, right? Absolutely. But it's, it's got to be the perfect balance. And you all have mastered whole hog barbecue. Um, and I'm not just saying that because I write in there because I wrote that book. I'm just I'm <laughs> telling y'all they have mastered whole hog barbecue. Yeah, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. the vinegar, you know, uh, the affinity towards the vinegar, obviously it's for flavor, but also, you know, the Carolinas, Eastern North Carolina specifically, you know, one of the last regions to stay true to the whole hog. Uh, but in early, you know, you got to understand it early, um, you know, in early settlers, early plantation life, when you are cooking the whole hog, you know, the vinegar was used as um, a preservative for preserving the entire animal. So the sauce became not just the sauce, it also became a preservative and a natural preservative. Um, so, and you notice as you get away from the state, also, you also get away from uh, the entire animal where you don't need as much vinegar to preserve it, right? So when you get into the shoulders and cuts, different smaller cuts, well, those areas don't didn't gravitate towards vinegar, vinegar because they didn't need a lot of that, you know, to preserve the whole animal. So it's a lot of different tidbits that you learn along the way on why people use what they use and, you know, and, and tracing back the culture and the history of it. But what makes Wilson, question, what makes Wilson in your mind you know, such a, so powerful and, and just this barbecue legacy and history. What, what, what is it? Um, you know, I think really it's just, um, you know, it was the commitment to, um, commitment to, to, to the whole hog, not only just the commitment to the whole hog, but you got to, um, you know, Wilson was, uh, for all practical purposes, a powerhouse in tobacco for, for, a lot of the early 1900s and, um, you know, from its inception, you know, tobacco and farming was, you know, a, a revenue driver. So uh, tobacco and the railroads and that farm life also has a connectivity to cooking the entire animal as well, because you're trying to feed, you know, larger volumes of people uh, in, in those settings. So, at the end of the tobacco season, you know, a whole a barbecue, you know, was the celebration. It was the form of celebration. And so, you know, when, you know, farmers and plantation hands are trying to feed, you know, all of their workers as a, as a, as a source of celebration, the whole hog became the go to method because it fed uh, the most people. Uh, and it was a craft you know, that had been mastered for generations and generations. I think we've we even found a couple of articles um, where <laughs> like the first barbecue sandwich, the first like barbecue was was like the first hustle of some of the black uh, um, citizens of Wilson, you know, on the plantation way back in the 1800s, you know, when they were allowed to throw these shindigs, you know, in, in the barns and barbecue was and, and vinegar based barbecue was the cuisine, you know, and it was used to, to kind of sell, sell sandwiches and make a living. So it became a way to, 
the hustle and, and try and test your footing at being an entrepreneur, um, you know, feeding large volumes of people. I mean, the animal itself was um, was key, you know, in survival. And and and, um, and and Wilson was just at the source of that, you know. It was it was it was far enough from the coast to where we didn't gain an we didn't you know gain a true reputation as being a seafood place, but it was close enough towards you know the middle and the central part to where we also were able to maximize farming and using the animal. Um, as you can see, you know, for years and years, uh, you know, all, all of the, you know, at one point it was probably more hogs in in, in Eastern Carolina than it was people. Uh, so all of the major hog farms, the economic engine of the state revolves around pork. Um, and so a lot of the major hog farms were right around uh, the Wilson County, Pitt County, uh, Greene County area. And it's amazing to think about it that that far, because, I mean, we're talking about, you know, the entire United States having you know, uh, uh, we, you know, we were driving uh, a revenue driving source for the whole country for uh, quite a while with pork and tobacco. This episode is brought to you by Cheese State University. Cheese State University was created for dedicated cheese professionals seeking to deepen their knowledge, sharpen their skills and build connections. It feels like a gift to be able to give this gift to people because I know that from my own experiences, I know how valuable, consolidated, incredible training resources are. They offer an in-depth education on all things cheese, as well as an active network for peer support and career development. You can pop over to the Quad, which is our social networking and engagement app. Um, And so that's a really fun and dynamic aspect of Cheese State University. Cheese State's three-part course is designed for seasoned pros and entry-level mongers alike and covers all the skills one needs to perform on the cheese counter. The structure of Cheese State University is all based on the Cheese State University Field Guide. Um, And that is a three-volume resource. It's all digital online. At the end of the course, students will be ready to ace the field guide assessment and earn their Cheese State Scholar Certificate. Another resource is a video series where we tackle sort of like these thornier questions that you can get on the cheese counter, like what is rennet and like why is this cheese so expensive and can pregnant people even eat cheese? At Cheese State, you're among experts, you're among scholars, you're among cheese lovers, and most importantly, you are a monger. Join them in the Ivy League of Cheese Education at CheeseStateUniversity.com. And one of the things that I also appreciated in this book, uh, you know, just hearing Mother Doretha Mitchell's stories, um, not only about the role that men played, Black men specifically played in barbecue, um, Mr. Mitchell sharing stories of, you know, taking a swig of moonshine and being out there all night, you know, barbecuing to the wee hours, you know, and some of the mentors that really, you know, just shaped his 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 craft um and then being able to pass it down to you and then you know just thinking also about mother your grandmother and 
all of these side dishes because I'm looking at the cookbook now and I'm just like, whoa, you know, all of these <laughs> side dishes that she made. I'm missing if y- y'all if y'all don't understand like tater tater jacks. What like what what you uh, know? I'm just tater jacks, right? <laughs> you know, and I'm just like, I want you all to try this because I literally walked into their home uh, to Mother uh, Doretha Mitchell's home. Ryan's grandmother and just was able to sit down and just, you know, have this amazing meal, this old time meal that I haven't really had in a long time. I mean, you know, she's still cooking like our grandmothers used to cook, right? Still still cooking, man. Still cooking. I mean, it was, you know, there's so much emotion tied into how she prepares the table, you know, um, uh, it's just such such a deep story, you know. She worked uh, she worked on you know on plantations and former plantations for all of her childhood, and through uh, through the birth of um, my my uncle, my middle uncle Aubrey, she worked on plantation. Uh, you know, was cooking and cleaning house um, for a lot of the plantation uh, owners and families, and. You know, in those settings, she would have to cook, you know, for the entire home. So when she gets home, when she would get home, uh, she would replicate that cooking process for her family. And even though we didn't have nowhere near as many people in the house. Right. And so for years and years and years, my grandfather <laughs> was like, oh, Dorita, just she cooked like she feeding the army. She cooked like she feeding the army. And her thing was. Uh, right to this day, if I say I'm going to come home, she will cook up a half a kitchen full of food. Right. And her thing is, if I had to do that for, uh, you know, in those if I had to do that in those environments, you know, when I was forced to, then my way of greet, you know, my way of psychologically getting over that is to also do it in my home for my family. And so it doesn't matter who's coming she'll cook up a bunch of food like, you know, I'm going to give this effort and this love and this hospitality right back to my family when I had to do it in settings I didn't want to do it in. And uh, it's just a deep, you know, understanding, psychological understanding of um, of, of just culin- the culinary mindset, you know, of, of the powerful women from from that generation, man. It's just it's just a deep thing. It's really deep because, you know, when I go through the book and I reread it over and over and over again before it goes to print, um, I just realized just, you know, just all of these generations. And I think you are the last generation that has, you know, uh, and it really, you know, is is able to understand the past and but also grasping this future that we're walking, this technological, you know, advancement advanced, you know, life that we're living in now and Mm -hmm. how you can take barbecue to the masses, you know? And so, you know, your, you know, ingenuity and just, you know, just, just intuition, like, no, we need to do something about uh, making sure that this legacy maintains and it passes down to the next generation. I think it's, it's something that we'll be able to really talk about in this book and it's going to be a lot of conversation can you just talk a little bit about you know just you being in college going back home and you know your dad's has this restaurant and then the eventual you know switch that 
came on in your brain, like, no, I need to take this seriously, this 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 generational family business seriously. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, um, again, to your credit, um, I won't give everybody the page number, but there's a photograph in the in the uh, in the book where you found um, a, a historical photo of who we will say is Uncle Dave. Uncle Dave was born um, a manservant uh, to the governor of the North Carolina. It was a black man who uh, in the book, there's a photograph of him uh, in, a, in a coat, suit coat, and he's slicing a watermelon. Uh, he was said to be, you know, one of the lead, uh, not just pit masters, but one of the lead culinary people inside the governor's mansion. But he was born a, born a slave and he served as a manservant, right? So to be quite honest with you, growing up, uh, growing up in the restaurant, in the bar, you know, in the restaurant industry, to be honest, my grandma didn't really want me cooking. She wanted me like, she wouldn't let me cook because she wanted me in front of the cash register. <laughs> you know what I mean? So right. for them, you know, the grandchildren and the younger generation, for her, it meant so much to present myself as like her her, her offspring were going to be presented as, you know, educated, educated young men who were going to be you know, out in the world doing things and the connectivity to the kitchen, she didn't really like. She wanted me to be involved with the business side of it. But for me personally, I didn't have a connection to cooking and doing and, and doing that type of stuff because, you know, uh, the hierarchy to what you could aspire to was you know, in that photograph, uh, if you're black and you're involved in the culinary industry or the food restaurant industry, that was what you aspired to. And I couldn't make that connection, man. For me, it was hard, you know, to walk through that dining room and see those those families who used to, you know, belittle her, you know, sitting there eating uh, and, 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 you know, and enjoying our food. But for me, I was like, nah, you know, I'm not I'm not I'm going to be more than this, you know? And so for my generation, it was very tough to connect servitude and cooking and being involved in those environments with, even if it was your legacy, it was hard because we were raised to get educated and 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 leave and, and go out to the world and be something else, right? Even if we did have our name on this building. Um, so for me, uh, when I got to school, you know, it was like, man, I don't... I done cooked my last peak of chicken. I done dropped my last hush puppy. When I got out to college, I was like, I ain't, this is not for me. I ain't looking back. I'm going to tackle the world, you know, get my degree, play football. And, and uh, I, I, dad, this will be something I retire to, you know, but not right now, right? So uh, I graduated from college, you know, with my little degree in hand and football wasn't working out. Uh, and so I venture off into corporate America and, you know, years of educating yourself and, and going after what you what you think is the American dream, it all comes to an end in an office setting where they can just ship your job off to Singapore, right? <laughs> so I went through a massive layoff and everything that I thought I was working towards, you know, disappeared right in front of my eyes. Um, and so I had to make a decision to whether, whether or not I was going to continue to try and 
you know, rebuild these office politics uh, in another banking environment or in, in another business environment? Or was I going to just really, truly, you know, pursue the passion um, of, of being in business for myself? And so simultaneously, you know, during that time, um, you know, my dad, <laughs> you know, to his uh, to his doing, you know, he, you know, he decided that, hey, you know, the Internet was going was just enough. You know, he wasn't going to be participating in that. And so if the business were going to go any further, it was going to be because I decided to come home and do what he had been directing me to do for the past years, which is come home, take over this family business, because he had already seen, you know, the mountain. He'd already envisioned all of these things. He had already witnessed all of these people coming from around the country filming and taking pictures and writing books and writing stories. And he would always say, he said, man, they ain't here looking for nothing. You know, there's something on the, there's something on the horizon. You know, he has that unique ability to stand still and see around the corner at the same time. And, Mm. you know, he would always just, he's like, listen, man, you know, it's fine. You ain't got to be in that pit doing it, but you better, if you don't come here and figure this out, then all this work is, you know, what are we doing it for? You know, it's bigger than this. It's bigger than that office. It's bigger than that. You know, these things that you out here in the world pursuing, you know, uh, you know, the, the, the legacy of, of your family is something you're going to appreciate one day. And, um, you know, I couldn't see that at the time, but, you know, I eventually did. And it was Anthony Bourdain. It's interesting. Wait, let me back up. So mm-hmm. last episode, I was talking to Miss Linda, the Yakamine lady from New Orleans, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and she was telling she was telling a story. I, th- I feel like, you know, a certain generation have a story about Anthony Bourdain. You know, those of those who were in the industry early on who were able right. to experience him with the Food Network. And she was sent, she was talking about her son. And how, you know, he had come down and had some of her Yakamine in New Orleans. And, you know, he asked her, he started talking about, you know, just his struggle. You know, she she had told him that her son had died of an overdose, you know, a mm-hmm. heroin overdose. Right. And he was so kind and just, you know, really was talking about, you know, that his son, his, 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 I think he had a, I don't know if he had a daughter or a son, but his child really saved his life and stopped him from doing that anymore. And she was just like, I was just shocked that he was just so, you know, just hospitable and easy to talk to. And I think that that's a similar situation happened to you with Anthony Bourdain, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. Correct. I mean, yeah. I know I know all of this, but I'm just nah. I'm just, you know, leading you in the right way. <laughs> no, it did. It did. I mean, he was, um, you know, um, he was, you know, professionally. Uh, a saving grace for me because he was the first person that I could identify as being not just a celebrity, but someone who was, um, you know, had the voice and had the magnitude to really to really say, uh, hey, what you guys are doing here is about, you know, you, you have something. He was the first person to really you know, that came into our restaurant that I could, you know, cause I, you know, me, you know, I'm standoffish. I'm in the corner. I'm, you know, I'm like, man, we ain't get no money for this. Like, you know, that, you know, me, I'm talking ish in the corner, you know, because we, you know, we've gotten all these emails and got, you know, we get people coming out here with cameras all the time. And then at that point in time, the trade off was, 
you know, marketing. Like, hey, we're going to come in here and film and tell the world about your craft. You don't get much for it, but we're going to tell the world about you. And for me, that was crazy. You know what I mean? Like, I know you guys are about to turn this into a series for millions of dollars, but, you know, you film all of these, you you, you get all of this cultural knowledge. And, um, you know, oftentimes, you know, the restaurateur, the the people involved are, you know, they have to figure their own way out on how to leverage it. So at that time, you know, he, he, he pulled me to the side and he had, you know, heard some of my story about, you know, what I was out in the world doing, trying to do professionally. He was like, man, listen, you know, everything you're looking for is right here. You know, um, you know, don't be, you know, don't be too cool for school, man. You got you know, this right here in this building. You know, your, I sought your father out because not only was he the name on the building, but he also was the man inside the pits doing the cooking. He said, and I couldn't find that. Everywhere else you travel, he traveled around the country. You know, it was a white entrepreneur's name on the building and the black people in the pit doing the cooking and they had no connectivity ownership. So that, you know, him him being humble enough to really talk to me in that way uh, and directly, you know, he ain't being pulled no punches, you know, about, you know, what I thought I was going to want to see out here in this world. You know, he was really direct, um, you know, just like like an older brother would talk to me, you know, in that moment. And so, um, you know, I took his words and, and, you know, it really just kind of opened my eyes to really see what was happening. You know, Food Network was at its, you know, sibling stage, uh, at its infant stage then. So um, what was going on, this filming of all this culture and this barbecue phenomenon was at the cusp of happening. And, um, you know, I, I just had to, you know, my dad, you know, his intuition you know, is is a gift from God. You know, he's like, you know, they ain't here for nothing. You know, and I'm 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 ducking the camera because I'm like, I don't want to be seen on on TV cooking no barbecue. You know what I'm saying? Boys laughing at me. I'm, you know, you know I am right. So so I don't want to be seen on TV doing that. That ain't cool. You know what I mean? Like Jay Z ain't rapping about that. He, Kanye ain't rapping about me in the pits cooking barbecue. They talking about money and chains and all you know and all these things you know like that don't associate with that for me so <laughs> so that was my you know moment of like man this is crazy you know um there's getting ready to be a change and we we got to figure out how to get it to the world uh before before they do right you know right so if you don't take control of your story somebody else will and they'll say it's their story but then a light bulb went on in your head and I'm just going to, you know, I'm trying to just give you all a, just a preview of what this book is about, because I mean, this, this story is, it's, it's an American story. Um, you know, it's, um, just this, these generations, each generation's just trying to not only survive, but thrive and pass something down onto the next generation. And, you know, one of the things that your grandmother does and, you know, what a lot of that generation did, we didn't use processed sugar like that. Right. So they they extracted the natural sugars from fruit to sweeten other things. Right. Absolutely. Um, sugar was a luxury. We, 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 we can't forget that. Um, Absolutely. And so, you know, that moment. Talk to me a little bit about that moment, that light bulb that went on your head when your dad um, was in a diabetic coma. 
Yeah, man. Uh, that was that was, you know, probably what the the most uh, one of the most scary scariest moments of my life. You know, he was. Uh, you know, we had been working on sauces and products for, you know, fast forward. We we're in the game now. We're figuring out figuring out some things and, you know, figuring out the restaurant industry within itself. But you know, my dad was always ahead of the curve about trying to figure out you know how to get products in stores. And early on in our career, you know, we 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 couldn't we couldn't find that niche. We couldn't because you know that was the decisions the decision makers were, were were you know stacked against us when it came to kind of getting our early earlier bottles of barbecue sauce on the shelf um so 2016 you know 2017 my dad gets diagnosed with diabetes and you know we decide to hey you know put the brakes on we got to figure out what that you know what's going on um we we get through you know, the recovery and, and, and the doctor's orders and all that kind of thing. And we decided, hey, we're going to use the rest of our time, use our platform in this business to try and recreate, um, you know, barbecue sauces void of sugar. I was approached, you know, by a business partner who had been, you know, huge fans of ours, been following us from the Big Apple Block Party, man. He came and he found me, you know, emailed us and called us over and over. He was like, you know, you guys got to, you guys are the perfect people to, to, to create this partnership with because, you know, your influence and your voice in this business is like no other. Everybody I go talk to say they learn from you guys. And uh, so um, we developed a line of barbecue sauces uh, and we were very uh, specific about the no sugar label. Right. So my grandmother's recipes from back in the day, you know, she would take butternut squash and carrots and fruits and stew them down into a serum and that's and that's what she will use as a sweetener and uh lo and behold man we created recreated some of our older sauces and some new sauces using that very technique and you know god's been good you know we're in five thousand grocery stores right now um whole foods sprouts harris teeter walmart is launching us but it's really you know spending the rest of our time really is about connecting you know, our our communities to the product, because in most settings, you know, we, we have the most marketing of, of sugar led pro products, you know, in the country, our communities and, you know, underprivileged communities, people who are who are in need of different and better choices, better for you products are usually the least marketed when it comes to things like this. So, you know, it's not like we're recreating the wheel, you know, we're just taking food and, and products back to how they used to be. You know, um, before sugar became, you know, uh, the leading ingredient in everything that we consume. So it's been a journey. It's been an amazing journey. So that leads me to talk about these recipes that are in this in the book. Yeah. Um, this was, you know, I kept on calling my mom and, you know, just. And I'm, I'm grateful that you all even allowed me to share a recipe, a family rep recipe from my mom. Uh, well, it's actually her grandfather who is from Wilson. And we were able to share his story and oyster stew recipe. Um, but each one of these dishes, I mean, I'm just going to name a, through a, a few of them uh, for you guys. Crackling hush puppies, let them roll fried green tomatoes, creamy deviled eggs, smoked collard green dip. I'm getting hungry. North Carolina, I know, right? North Carolina South meat, uh, okra poppers, Ryan's crackling crusted chicken wings, rib tips with Ed, Ed's Memphis barbecue sauce. 
I mean, it goes on and on. And tomato pie. Don't let me start on the tomato pie. Mama Mitchell's oven cooked barbecue shoulder. Um, and then you all also give, you know, the kind of the blueprint for um, cooking in the style that you all cook whole hog barbecue. Um, you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, you know, again, we try to we try to cover the basis of um, of giving some sides and and, and some um, you know some of the things that we shared that that were in our uh, in our restaurant from the very beginning. Um, you know, we weren't very we we had chopped barbecue, grilled chicken, ribs, and one special. But we had uh, our, our restaurant was you know full of way more veggies and side dishes than it was actual meats. You know, and that that was my grandmother's thing. Um, so the blueprint for cooking barbecue, we give away, you know, uh, some of the, some of the trade secrets, you know, you might have to come down and eat to get the rest of them, but we, we get you pretty close with the recipes in the book. Um, as far as the process of, uh, of cooking the whole hog, the tradition of banking the hog and learning how to, you know, cook a whole animal without it, you know, burning up and you checking on it every, every two seconds, you know, people are a little intimidated by cooking the entire animal. So we try to make it easy for everybody to not be so, um, you know, to go ahead and take a chance and, and, and walk you through the process of cooking a whole hog um, as long, uh, along with uh, the other recipes. So, And it was so cool because, you know, we were able to uh, witness your dad get inducted into the National Barbecue Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah. Um, then we also, before the book was over, and, you know, I wanted you to kind of talk about the future of barbecue, but, mm -hmm. you know, we were invited, well, your dad was invited and you to um, the Churrascada Barbecue Festival in Sao Paulo, Brazil. And I just came along just to witness and include it in the book. But I mean, yeah. that was amazing moment, yeah, um, truly. you know, where barbecue whole hog eastern north carolina whole hog barbecue made by the mitchells is now global you right. know and i know you all have done other stuff before but to come to brazil yeah that was uh, and, a big that, know, that was hands down that, hands yeah, down the, best, the biggest talk about that yeah i mean brazil for me was um <laughs> you know from from standing in the corner you know uh with Antonio Bardain 20 years ago, not wanting to be seen to, to now seeing this craft be introduced or, or highlighted, let me say, highlighted in an entirely different country. Um, I, I never I never would have dreamed that that was that would be a thing that, that would be possible. Um, so the future of barbecue, like, to, you know, it's, it's really about understanding being over there allowed me to understand and just get more humble about the passion that people are putting into this craft, uh, the passion that goes into um, eating from the land and giving back to your, your fellow man through through acts of service, you know, through for them is more than just barbecue, you know, and, you know, in Brazil, it was more about the hospitality that comes along with um, being appreciative of the fire, you know, of the animal and, you know, the things that they have to go through uh, just to be able to feed, you know, large, large groups of people like that. It's, it's, it's so communal, you know, and spiritual, you know, to see those guys 
making, you know, they don't even allow lighter fluid in the country. You know, you got to light the fire with your hand and, and learn how to, you know, you know, you know, maneuver it and get it ready for the day. You know, none of those commercialized you know, things that we use over here in the country. Um, they don't have oak woods. They don't have a lot of things. Uh, and yet they produce um, <laughs> the best best barbecue and best smoked meats, you know, we've ever had in my life. So to see the craft um, be highlighted in that way and also for them to be knowledgeable about including uh, an African-American into their celebration uh, as a form of, um, you know, as a, a as a form of motivation for their for, for their culture and their people was really huge, you know, because that was a big part of uh, them extending the invitation to my dad was to also pour some um you know, their culture is rich enough, but, you know, to see an African-American bring uh, a level of success, you know, they do it for love, love of the craft. And to see someone be successful at it uh, was was big for them. You know, they wanted to spread that, spread that joy. And uh, I, I was just, I was blown away, you know, to be quite honest. I know I was blown away. Um I know I was blown away just seeing, you know, just how deep barbecue culture is in Brazil. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. then how how many people were going up to you and your dad, you know, and you all were just little, you all were superstars, you know, and especially Afro Brazilians, you know, they were going up to you all a lot and just saying, thank you for being here. And this just gives me you know, further motivation to push forward. And you don't realize that, you know, until like, and I, I, I'm sure it was just like a mind blowing experience for you, but me as a writer capturing that moment for you all yeah. was profound for me. Yeah, humble ain't even a, a, a big enough word. I mean, because you know you don't know these things. You know, we because because we, um, you know, like I said, we 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 had to come into the craft from a place of pain um, and to somewhat see it get to this point to where. To be quite honest, they also were were there. Uh, uh, their beginnings were the same, you know, and 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 kind of still is. You know, they're cooking and doing all and, and creating this amazing food just for the love of it. They have a few right. commercial places. They have, you know, like the restaurant we went to. Uh, the actual Churisgada, um, you know, uh, restaurant was. <laughs> something like out of a movie unbelievable. you know what I mean like but those unbelievable. unbelievable like the rooftop is off you know and they got open flames everywhere communal tables and candle lights and it's like a, like a movie set you know to see and then them. they were selling all that meat remember the yeah. different type the quality meats it was like a whole like library for like meat aficionados yeah and, all the, you know, all, the all the cured foods store. All the cured and all, all the cured foods that they had there, um, different animals, you know, that they had, you know, that they were treating as a delicacy. Um, and it was just unbelievable, you know, because they are so appreciative of the craft all the way down to the staff. You know what I mean? It, it, it's not a job. It's not like just a job for them. You know, it is. Hey, uh, we, we celebrate our life through doing this every day. So now after, you know, we've we've written this book, it's about to come out, you know, in June. Uh, what are you excited for? And 
what's your favorite, re- one of your favorite recipes in the book or something that you think that our listeners should, you know, pay special attention to? Um, what am I most excited for? I'm most excited. Well, I- I'm excited for my, um, you know, I'm really just excited for my dad to, uh, to see, to get some vindication and to get some, um, you know, just to take a moment. He very, he very rarely celebrates anything, you know, himself or what he does. So I'm excited for him to be able to just like, man, to know that he was, um, you know, his vision, you know, just as a, as a young, as a, as a black man coming from, the 1940s in the South, uh, to see his vision be able to be, um, you know, acknowledged in such a way. And that's huge for me, you know, as a, as a son to be able to give him that moment. And, uh, I'm excited for the world to see your, your, your talent, your, your, your literary talent. I mean, it's, um, to be able to weave, to be able to bob and weave, you know, this book in the way that I, I tell people all the time, yeah, I'm excited about the recipes, but like, nah, she literally wrote a movie. Like she wrote a movie script. You know, this is just more than just a, recipes and food. And it, it is a, it is a culinary, you know, masterpiece, you know. Don't my, make me cry on this man, podcast. I swear <laughs> to God, in my personal opinion, it's a culinary masterpiece because you, you, you captured, um, the history, not just the history of what we're doing, but like the history of the people, all of the people that made us who we were, you know, like, and, and the, the generations before us. Uh, there's so much to learn from it, um, you know, being able to dive through those ar- archives. And I mean, it's like you found like, you know, there's billions of archives, photo archives. You found the absolute best ones to use uh, for historical references in the book. Um and I, I, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm beaming with pride to, to, for that, for that part. Um, my favorite recipe is one of my favorite recipes is probably going to be able to, um, the, uh, I'm going to go with, uh, the, the oddball carrot cake. Because most people, <laughs> my friends included, <laughs> my, my, you know, ever since I've been growing up, you know, like nobody understands my grandma makes uh, carrot cake with yellow icing. Like they ain't never heard of that. So, but when they come to that house and they eat that cake, uh, they were like, I mean, I used to have friends that follow me home from college, you know, and, and stop, you know, just to, and wouldn't leave the driveway till I brought them a piece of cake out. And then they would hit the road and get on back to, to their hometowns. But. Um, you know, that's going to be it's one of my like favorites. Mother, it's nothing like your grandmother's cooking. I mean, I'm just yeah. saying, you know, I just, I, yeah, don't, that, those tater jacks, like, yeah, what, do until you no all more. try these tater jacks, you know, tater they, jacks, it's just, man. Oh, you know, man. people call them fried pies nowadays, but no, it's a little different, you know, like it's, it's a little bit different from your traditional, you know, fried pie, man. And, um, it's just, uh, and talk to me a little bit about pig pickings. Cause we have a section in, in the book called pig picking menu and you know for those who aren't familiar with North Carolina culture mm-hmm. talk, what is a pig picking well a pig picking is um, you know it's a celebration of uh, the the beginning of, or the end of the season uh, of, of the tobacco season or it's the beginning of you know the summertime barbecue season uh, as we have gotten more 
you know, a little bit more politically sound around, you know, we use the pig picking menu for celebrations like Juneteenth. It's a celebration of uh, the food and the heritage. But what it is, is we take the whole hog and we, you know, process, cook him and smoke him up real good, season him up real good. And you get to walk by the whole hog and kind of pick your piece off that you want. Uh, that's where it, that's where it originated from. You know, it's, it's some real country stuff. You know, some people, you know, like a little, little, little funny about that now, especially in the world we live in now. But, hey, you know, you come by and you pick off your favorite piece of the hog with your hand and you get to kind of see the animal and like see where everything comes from that you like. And then you surround that with uh, the traditional sides like coleslaw. Um, we got the corn on the cob, you know, uh, baked potato or baked sweet potatoes. Um, baked beans, collards. Um, we got the, uh, the the cucumber salads. Um, so Brunswick it, stew. It, Brunswick <laughs> stew. Man, I could go on. Brunswick stew, macaroni cheese, and of course sweet tea by the gallons is on the on the other side of the table. Um, and it's a chance for you to kind of just. Uh, it, it's a really. Uh, you know, it's it's a really outdoorsy, you know, semi semi savage way of eating food. You know, it it's, it makes you feel like you're, you know, out in the woods. You know, just having a good time. And so um, that's the origin of it. And then I think one of the dopest ideas that we had, um, and I want you to just you know share with our listeners some of your favorite songs, is mm-hmm. when we curated a playlist to match with this um, cookbook, and it's it is the ultimate barbecue playlist that really not only just you know will have you dancing and will have you barbecuing in this, this summer, but it also is you know a it's it's a it's it's taking you down a journey of history about mm-hmm. barbecue, about moonshine, about growing up in the rural south. Yeah. I mean, there's so many songs in here that we included <laughs> from some of the early musicians, early artists that were, you know, singing about barbecue and moonshine yeah. and you know, they they woman leaving them, right? <laughs> so tell me a little bit about your ideas, you know, just some of your songs that you like. Some some of the, some of the, you know, the playlist is uh is is um you know, that's like a hidden gem, you know, of the project. You know, I'm a huge, uh, you know, I grew up with Sam Cooke and Otis Redding because my dad, and you know, they played all of those blues songs a lot. But taking us from, you know, from those artists and incorporating some of the newer artists, Frankie Beverly and Mays, I guess, is uh, is right in the middle of that. You know, we cover all the emotions that come along with being outside, you know, making you think about the food, making you dance and happy about the food, make you see how far we have come, you know, from with, from, with the food through the project. Um, we got, what, Layla Hathaway. We got, oh, my God, uh, Nina Simone. So many. Um, so many on there. We know, even put some Brazilian songs in there just to, Brazilian, like, We got some Brazilian songs. I think you know, Toto, somebody is, I was one of the, the Spanish to. songs up there. Like, yes. man, <laughs> I was, <laughs> I'm still trying to go through a lot of it. You know, because everybody is always asking me. I was like, man, we're going to cover. Look, just invite every piece of the culture to your house. <laughs> yeah, Black so folk, when we... white folk, the Chinese, <laughs> invite your Chinese friends, your Brazilian friends, yes. you know. Yes. It's a yes. whole block. Everybody. Cover the it's block. It's going to be a pig picket. <laughs> Bring the whole block from everybody. 
And, you know, we're going to go on this book tour and, you know, some some folks are reaching out for us. I mean, I don't want to spoil it yet because, you know, I want you all to, you know, just follow us. You can fi- follow R- Ryan on his um, and I'll, you know, I, I'll ask you to sh- um, shout out your your Instagram pages and your uh, contact information. But, you know, we will um, have a few pig pickings. You yeah. know, we're going to really promote this cookbook and just this next, you know, chapter in the Mitchell legacy. And, you know, hey, this book might turn into a whole movie, Absolutely. you know, because That's this story is is profound. Uh, and I don't want to spoil all of it for you all. You know, we don't want to give everything away. We got, we got gonna... so many tour dates, but most important, well, w- w- right now on, on the table, one of the most important things I want everybody to be tuned in is June 13th. That's locked in. Uh, we are going to be featured on the Today Show and not just the Today Show, but we are like the first black father and son to kick off Father's Day weekend on the Today Show. Uh, so mm. we start out the, the today the week long celebration of Father's Day uh, that rolls into Juneteenth um, as well. So, uh, man, just to to be able to be up there live um, celebrating you know, all of the amazing fathers around the world, uh, man, that, that's, um, that's probably gone. They're going to, I'm gonna have to keep my shades on, on live TV mm. for that one. Cause I don't want to be up there wow. looking soft. Oh, I'm sure this is going to be just fine. And yeah. you all are going to look amazing. You all are going to just <laughs> kill it. And, you know, just book sales, sauces, you know, all of that. And cause you all have such an incredible story. I mean, it was, you know, just, it was an honor to, sit down and just, you know, talk to everyone and really spend time in Wilson. And, you know, I, I personally, you know, it was, it was a personal journey for me too, because I've, I've been researching, you know, my family for quite some time. And my mother was the griot of the family. So she was always on us about telling everyone who was in, you know, about every family member that was ever in, our family and Mm -hmm. to actually be able to go to Wilson and to sit down and have barbecue with you all and to walk where my ancestors walked is just something I will always cherish. I couldn't have like, like, there's nobody else in the world. Like there's no other writer, uh, certainly not on your level that could ever have shared that experience with us like that. Like that's just God, you know, putting, Merging, merging, merging his his people. You know, like I, I don't. You can't even fix that. Fine, you can't find that. And North Carolina is such a special state. I mean, the Carolinas in general. I don't want anybody to get mad and you know to say, "Oh, what about South Carolina?" Right, right, right. right. You know, I'm saying I just want you all to know that North Carolina is a very special state with so many different cultures and so many incredible stories. And it's just an honor to really put this cookbook out from a legendary barbecue family from Eastern North Carolina. And, you know, that North Carolina, you know, we need your support in this. For sure. We need it. We need it big time. NC stand up. Yes. ENC stand up. Um, Tell us where where people can follow you. You can you can follow me on uh, uh, on IG at BBQ Prince uh, ten thirty one. Also true at True May Foods. Um, you can also find us on Facebook at the Pitmaster Ed Mitchell. Um, and our website address is, is uh, thepitmasteredmitchell.com and TrueMayFoods.com. You can order the sauces and 
uh, order our products as well from from those two websites. Uh, so, and the cool thing about True Made Foods, uh, one thing I love about you know you all sauces is that each sauce represents a different region. So if you are love Memphis barbecue, you can have Memphis barbecue sauce. If you love vinegar sauce from North Carolina, you can definitely have that too. You can have it all. We got every Central Texas, South Carolina with the mustard base. Uh, we got the Carolina Red, uh, and we just introduced the rubs. So the rubs are in the book too. So we finally got those done. So we're trying to cover. We're trying to. We're trying. We're trying to cover everything, man. And the book is pre-sale. It's on pre-sale right now, on Amazon. So make sure everybody goes and check that out right now. You can get it before June six. Reserve your copy. Thank you so much, Ryan Mitchell, for joining me on Culture and Flavor. Thank you so much. Culture and Flavor is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.